Amen, amen. Go and have a seat. Uh, Chris, before you bring up the sermon slides, could you actually bring up uh, that first slide of Come Ye Sinners? And uh, let's take a look at that. I think that's a very fitting way uh, for us to transition our time uh, into God's word. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Okay, show of hands. How many people in the room is this true of? Okay, it's not a trick question. Everyone's hand should be raised. That's all of us right there. Jesus ready stands to save you with compassion, love, and power. And then, of course, the beginning of the chorus tells us to let us rise and go to Jesus. And so I think it would be fitting for us to do just that. Let us rise. Let's go to his word. Let his, let his word uh, instruct us, teach us, uh, exhort us, rebuke us, encourage us, whatever it is um, that God's word needs to do in your life here uh, this morning. And as we continue in our sermon series, Seven Words to Change Your Life, uh, come to the word commitment and as we've been moving through this series, the, the, the whole of the gospel, through the whole of the scriptures, uh, we really saw the work of God initially. We saw then on the last couple of weeks what God does inside of us, the work of God within us, that repentance shows up, that there's a turning from sin, a turning or returning to God, a, a sorrow and a brokenness over our sin as we race back to the cross. Last week, seeing the notion of humility, really, um, how it is that we conduct ourselves and continuing in that same vein um, of, of the effect of, of what the gospel does within us, we come to this word, commitment. Really, uh, humility and repentance are both internal. Those are internal things. And before we can ever externally manifest what God has done uh, within us, it has to first show up internally and so with those two words as a backdrop, we come at this word, uh, commitment, really beginning to move uh, externally to what uh, is going on within us. And so let me just uh, begin to frame our, our time together, uh, give us a sense of where God is going to take us. And I think this is really uh, the heart of what God has for us here this morning with respect to commitment. Listen, loved ones, commitment demands, it demands that Jesus is the highest priority in every facet of our life. If we're going to be committed to him, if we're going to follow him fully, if we're going to follow him the way that he wants us to follow him, we have to understand that commitment demands that Jesus is the highest priority in every facet of my life. It's comprehensive and it is consuming. That's the very thing we see here in this text. So turn your attention now, Luke 9. I'm going to start in verse 57. We're just going to move... Uh, to the end of chapter 9, which is verse 62, a very short, uh, but very pointed, very sharp passage. I'd encourage you to read along as I read it aloud. Here's what Luke tells us. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And that guy, just like that, is out. Verse 59. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, 
No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Won't you join me as we go before the Lord and ask him to give us wisdom and insight into his word here this morning. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, we, God, we recognize um, that sometimes your word is quite sharp. It's, it's quite cutting. Uh, maybe for some of us, even as we read some of those words, it, uh, that, that there was a harshness to it. Uh, because of what's going on in our lives. And God, we pray that by the power of your spirit in these next few moments as we walk through this text, as we walk through what it is to be committed to you and what you're calling us to, that by the power of your spirit, you would give us the courage to respond appropriately. Whether it be repentance, whether it be um, some kind of resolve, whether it be um, some kind of change or transformation, God, whether it be uh, for the first time turning from sin and towards you, God, whatever it would be, we pray that you would have your way with us. But God, not only for us, we pray for uh, Pastor Grant Blankenship and Cedar Springs Church. God, I pray for my friend Grant as he preaches this morning that you would move and work in his life, that you would um, be proclaimed powerfully at Cedar Springs and that your gospel would go forward and your people would be changed and transformed. So Jesus, we pray that you would have your way with them, and we pray in that same manner you'd have your way with us. Jesus, come and do what only you can do. Come and do what only you can do in and through us now. We pray this in your name. Amen. Seven words to change your life. Commitment. And... Uh, let me just give us a little context here before we dive into verses 57 uh, through 62, just so you have an idea of some of the intensity uh, and the fiery uh, response of Jesus. But if you jump back up to verse 51, it begins to give us a little more insight. And you should know that in the book of Luke as a whole, uh, chapter 9, verse 51, this is a major turning point in the book and what's happening in the book and, and um, the trajectory of, of where Luke is taking us. And that'll probably become clear when we read these next couple of verses. Notice what Luke says. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. You see what's happening? The public ministry, the public sphere, the getting the word out. Okay, we have a, a decisive change in focus and vision in terms of what Jesus has right in front of him. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's got the cross in front of him now. The ultimate mission right in front of him. In verse 52, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and, and, and went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But notice verse 53, the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. That inherent in commitment is this notion that there's going to be a rejection. It's seen here by the Samaritans. The disciples, they see it, they get pretty fired up. And I like what they say in verse 54, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Jesus is like, hey, 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 hey. First of all, I don't need your help. If we're going to do that, I'm going to do it on my own. All right. And the second of all, you've missed the point. And they go on to another village. And that's where we pick this up as they were going along. And what we see here is we see three encounters. Jesus encounters three individuals all around this concept of commitment, all around this concept of what it is to follow, to be a disciple, to walk with Jesus. 
And I think in each of those, there's some great wisdom, some great challenge for us. And so here's what I want to do uh, with our time this morning uh, in terms of in the text or in the word is we'll, th- we'll take a good part of our time and walk through each of those three items. But I think there's some great wisdom in treating it in totality as well. And so what we'll do at the end is we'll take our last remaining few moments and treat uh, verses 57 through 62 in totality and some things that we see showing up with all three uh, of these guys that help to uh, further apply and understand um, the text. Let me make one other note here uh, with respect to what's going on here. I think it would be easy for us to be quite critical of these three individuals and their um, response to what Jesus is saying. Luke's intent is not to hammer these guys. Luke's intent is to warn his readers. That's you and I. His purpose is to make known that if we're going to really follow Jesus, if we're going to do this in the manner that that, that is honoring and pleasing to him, if we're going to do this in the way that he's called us to, that we better pay attention. That we better hear what's going on here. That we better listen so that we don't make the same mistakes that these individuals made here it was not at all uncommon for Jesus to raise the standard or to push us to a further or greater place, and this is one of those illustrations. And so commitment, three things from the text. I framed the outline in a way that, that helps to communicate the truth but really puts it right in front of us, uh, requires us to take hold of what's happening here. And so look at this first individual in verse 57 and 58. Speaking of commitment, and really I've stated these as questions for us, or not questions, as statements for us, that we would hold true to these truths. Here's the first one. I'm committed to Jesus in all circumstances. I am committed to Jesus in all circumstances. Doesn't matter what's going on in my life, I am committed to him. And so notice this first individual, I'll follow you wherever you go. Sounds a lot like Peter. Remember Peter? Uh, Later, if you were to flip over to to Luke 22, you don't have to, but uh, in Luke 22, Peter tells uh, Jesus this right before his crucifixion, Lord, I'm ready to to go with you both to prison and to death. What I love is what Jesus said right before that. He said, Satan's asked to sift you. Satan's asked to sift you, but I've prayed that that, that for you, that your faith may not fail. And then this next line is gold. And when you've turned again, you see what, Peter, what Jesus is telling him? Bro, you're going to fail me. You're about to blow it. You're going to fail me. But when you've turned again, when you've repented, when you've gotten right, strengthen your brothers. What an encouragement. That before Peter even said it, God's saying, listen, I know you're going to blow it. But when you get it right again, go strengthen your brothers. I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, it's possible, it's possible that this young man had some kind of Jewish rabbi-student type relationship in mind. And it was very common for Jewish students to sit under a rabbi and they would literally sit at their feet and they would debate over various uh, scriptures in the Torah and go back and forth on that. But see, Jesus, in his calling of us to follow him, calls us to much more than just sitting at his feet talking about a couple of passages. It's a complete reorientation of our life that surrenders all to him. That that I completely reorient everything in my life, that all of it is ultimately surrendered to him. May bring about suffering. May bring about hardship. It's gonna bring about some type of death. The question is which type of death? Death uh, to self? It's an imperative. 
may also imply a physical death. But I'm committed in all circumstances, and Jesus calls this guy on it right here. I'll follow you wherever you go. I, I, I kind of see it like they're walking down the road. Like you can almost imagine they're just kind of walking, and this guy comes up and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus just kind of stops. And he looks at the guy and he goes, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Just lets it hang there for a minute and then just keeps walking. And the guy is probably just standing there. I mean, I don't know if it's true or not. I see it in my mind like, uh. See, what Jesus is saying is I'm homeless. You still in? I'm an alien. I'm a stranger. I'm a foreigner. You still coming with me? Oh, now that the circumstances changed, hey, you know, let me reconsider that. Hold on, let me, let me rephrase. I'm committed to Jesus in all circumstances. See, as followers of Jesus, we have to realize that we're no different than Jesus. We're also strangers and aliens in a foreign land. That the homelessness that truly has been Jesus' situation from his birth is ours as well. But it's these circumstances that some of us really, we push against. And that it's going to come to the point where I'm going to reject Jesus because I'm going to reject the circumstances that, that, that surround following him. I'm committed in all circumstances. Is that true for you? Is that true for you? Now, I'm not asking about your spouse or your child or your neighbor. I'm asking about you. In your life, all things, all circumstances, am I committed to this? Am I committed to following him? Let me just press that a little bit further. If there was something that were to happen in your life, could there be something that would undermine your commitment? So imagine um, if God allowed something to happen. God, why won't you take this pain? Why won't you take this struggle? Why are you allowing this? Or if Jesus called you to do something, God, why do you have me here? Why are you sending me there? Why are you telling me to do this? Is there something that would cause you to question or abandon your commitment to him? Let me press this just a little bit further. What if I told you, what if I told you that Jesus himself said that if you don't hate everything in comparison to him, you're not really committed to him? Mike, that's kind of extreme. Yeah, I know. Let me just read it to you, just so you know I'm not making it up. In fact, you can flip over just a few pages to the right. Luke 14 and verse 26 and 27. Here's what Jesus says. If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Now sometimes, can we be honest, sometimes in our heart of hearts, it's not hard to hate them because they rub us the wrong way. Okay, so sometimes you're like, oh yeah, that's easy, that's easy. But he doesn't leave it there. And even his own life. Gotta hate them all. Okay, what happens? What happens if we don't? Well, you cannot be my disciple. That's what happens. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now understand, Jesus isn't actually telling us to hate everyone. That's a comparative term. But it's the idea that if I were to look at someone's devotion to Jesus and compare it to any other relationship, it would look as though that commitment is so much greater than all other relationships that I did, in fact, 
hate them all. That's what he's saying. He's not talking about some like, hey, when it works out or it's convenient for you. He's talking about, man, I'm talking about giving it all up. Full out commitment. So here's the question in front of us. Is my commitment to Jesus conditioned by my circumstances or really by any other thing for that matter? Is my commitment to Jesus conditioned by my circumstances? Uh, Do some of us suffer from conditional commitment? Here's four, uh, far from exhaustive, but four ways that we struggle with conditional commitment. I'll follow Jesus if, just for the record, anytime that word if shows up, you're in a lot of trouble, okay? I'll follow Jesus if it's comfortable. I'll follow you if it's comfortable, Hey, uh, Jesus, if you'll make it easy, if there's no pain, uh, if there's no suffering, if you could just kind of let me slide on through, then I'm your guy. I'm your gal. If you do that, I'm on board. Okay, there's just one enormous problem with that is you don't find that anywhere in the scriptures. In fact, you find just the opposite. Repeatedly, we're told you're going to struggle, you're going to suffer, it's going to hurt, it's going to be hard. I think of Paul's... um, Uh, encouragement to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what's that next word? Will be persecuted. Not might, not possibly, not could. No, you will be. Think about Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 and that whole list of all the different ways that he suffered and struggled. See, if I'm gonna follow when it's comfortable, I'm not really committed to Jesus. I'm just committed to myself and it happens to be working for me. That's the only distinction. I'll follow you if it's comfortable. Here's the second one. I'll follow you if it's convenient. If it works for me, if it fits into my life. Jesus, if you, if you fit into my life, then, then we'll go with this. But you know, I don't, I don't have time for you. I don't have space for you. I don't feel like changing for you. You're not committed to Jesus. You're just committed to yourself. And there was a season in your life where he fit. Let's just call it what it is. I'll follow you if it's comfortable. I'll follow you if it's convenient. This is one of the ones, one of the most pressing ones in front of us today in our society. I'll follow you if I agree with you. I'll follow you if I agree with you, if I like what you say. Man, I'm, I love the love of God. I love the compassion of God. That forgiveness thing is super cool. Man, man, I, man I love that grace. Just keep on. I'm out on the whole wrath thing. Uh, I don't really want to love my enemies. Uh, don't tell me about my sin. You're not following Jesus. You're not committed to Jesus. You're committed to yourself. That's what you're committed to. Furthermore, what what has happened is you are not allowing the truth of God. You're not altering your life to the truth of God. You are altering the truth of God to your life. You're manipulating the scriptures. You are a buffet Christian. I will pick and choose what I like. I will pass on what I don't, which by the way, that's not a Christian. That's a worshiper of self who confuses themselves as a Christian. I'll follow you if I agree with you. I'll follow you if you bless me. God, if you bless me, if you make me happy, if you make me healthy, if you make me wealthy, if you make things good in my life, if you do what I want you to do, then I'll follow you. As if God is this cosmic genie who exists solely to dispense goods to you and I perpetually. 
Now see, the problem with that is you've confused who exists for who. In that, you think that God exists for you. In the very outset of this sermon series, we talked about God's glory, that everything in the entirety of the created universe exists to bring greater glory to him. God doesn't exist for you. We exist for him. Be done, be done, be done with the conditional commitment and hold that in contrast with unconditional commitment. I'll follow you even in Right, even in the statements, there's this massive difference. I'll follow you even in, even in trials. God, even in trials, I'm going to follow you. Even in suffering, God, I'm going to follow you. Even when it's hard, I'm going to follow you. Every Sunday morning, one of the first things Pastor Randy and I do is we get together, we talk for a few minutes, and we pray over uh, the service. And one of the things we were talking about this morning is we were just talking about um, how, different, uh, how different life is today than it was a year ago. And some of the difficulties we were walking through personally and some of the hardships that were in front of us and some of the things that we were really struggling with. And as we sat there, I just was, was just amazed at, man, it's God's grace and his kindness that even in trials, he gives us good things. Because one of my comments to Randy was, I said, yeah, man, that, that, I, I hated that season. I did. I'd, I'd be lying to say anything else. I hated walking through that season. But I love what God did in us. And I love how God worked in me personally. I love how God worked in this church. I love how God worked in the staff and how we are now equipped for some things that we weren't equipped for a year ago. God, I'm gonna walk with you even in the trials. Even when it's hard, I'm gonna walk with you in that. I'll follow you even when it's demanding. God, when you push us, when there's a hard word, kind of like what we're looking at here, think of John 6, this is a hard teaching. Who can understand it? Who can follow it? God, help us that our response would be like Peter's response. Where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? We've, it's you who have the eternal words of life. We have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. So yeah, I'm going to follow you even when it's demanding. I'm going to follow you even when it's consuming. Even when it's consuming the fact that God requires all of us Remember in Matthew 13, there's, Jesus has all those little parables there that he's kind of rifling through towards the latter part of that chapter. And a couple of them are the, the parable of the hidden treasure and the hidden pearl. And he's comparing that to the kingdom of heaven. And essentially these people who find this, right, upon finding these things, went and sold all that they had so as to obtain that one item. They were literally consumed with that one item and they gave everything up to have it. The same way that following Jesus should be consuming for us. I'll follow you even in, I'll follow you even when everyone abandons me. When everyone abandons me, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what that feels like. Uh, Paul in 2 Timothy 4 talks about being deserted. And I think the hilarious line there, of course, you gotta know the context. He says, Luke alone is with me. Luke was definitely not his first choice. All right? That was the guy that he and Barnabas split over. I'm going to follow you even when everyone abandons me. I'm going to follow you when I'm hated. I'm going to follow you when I'm hated. Now, Jesus is unflinching in bringing about this reality uh, over and over and over again in the Gospels. They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. The Corinthian church was referred to as haters of mankind, and they were hated. You and I will be hated. If we're going to follow well, we're going to be hated. 
Now just ask yourself, am I conditional in my commitment or am I unconditional in my commitment? Am I the type to say, Jesus, I'll follow you if? Or are you more apt to say, I'm gonna follow you even in? True commitment isn't conditioned by our situation or our circumstance. Here's the second item. I'm committed to Jesus first in all things. I'm committed to Jesus first in all things. Okay, first guy's out. Then Jesus approaches the second individual, follow me. Sounds a lot like what he told Levi in Luke 5. Sounds a lot like what he told James and John in, in Matthew 4. Right as he's calling the disciples, but unlike the disciples, this guy had a, an excuse. He had a response. He had a reason as to why he couldn't or wasn't going to follow. Look at what he says. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, you, you have to understand some things about what this guy is is pointing to. First of all, um, uh, we, we, we don't know. We don't know if, if the dad had just died, was, his death was imminent, or if it was, hey, he's going to die sometime in the next six months. We don't really know. It seems most likely that he had either died or it's, it's imminent based on the pressing nature of the language in the text. But based on Jesus' response, it doesn't really matter, does it? But you got to understand how reasonable his excuse is, and that becomes important when we start thinking about our own excuses. Because in Israel, to, to bury your father, um, you, you would do so right after death. A son was required uh, to be a part of the burial process. And then this is interesting. Um, an honorable, giving an honorable burial was considered a kindness and duty that ranked higher than any other service. It was the nicest thing you could do for someone. This is a big deal. Further, further, the rabbis taught that burial of a father took precedence over almost everything else, including religious services, studying the law, and things of that nature. It held a very prominent place in the society. So, so this guy came up with a really good excuse to delay, to put off, to put at arm's length commitments. I'm guessing he was pretty shocked by Jesus' response. He's probably thinking, oh, Jesus is going to go something like, hey, you know what? That's a big deal, man. Once you get that worked out, get that settled, once you're ready, then come follow me. It's not what Jesus said. Look what he said. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. You want to talk about some shock? What? Yeah, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let the dead take care of themselves. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What? I mean, but there, right there it is, right there in the text. I mean, the most reasonable excuse you could come up with, and it just got blown up. Now, Jesus understands that the dead cannot physically bury the dead. That's impossible. They couldn't do that. So part of what Jesus is saying He's saying, listen, those who don't have kingdom priorities, let them worry about those other things. You worry about the kingdom priorities. You worry about the pressing nature of what's right in front of us. You worry about the proclamation of the kingdom. And part of what makes this so intense is that this, this call, this unusual nature of this call from Jesus, it gives great clarity and urgency to what Jesus is calling his followers to. He's saying, this is a big deal. This is critical. This is crucial. This is important. Now hear me, hear me, hear me when I say this. 
In essence, what is happening here is a very reasonable excuse, maybe the best excuse possible that you could put forward. Jesus flat out rejects it. It doesn't hold any water, doesn't carry any weight. Now that becomes important because all of us, all of us, all of us at some point in time start going, well, okay, what could be my reason for not doing this? I'm committed to Jesus first in all things. I'm committed to Jesus first in all things. Jesus is telling us that everything, everything, everything takes a backseat to him in our lives. That there is no reasonable excuse to put off, to delay, being committed to, to following him. Okay, question. Is Jesus, is Jesus the first and foremost priority in your life? Just between yourself and the Lord, answer that question honestly. Is Jesus the first and foremost priority in your life? Don't bother with the excuse. It ain't going to work. Okay, he's already proved that. I don't want your excuse. I just want you to answer the question. That's what Jesus is saying. Let's just press in on this a little bit. Is Jesus a higher priority than your career? Is Jesus a higher priority than your marriage or the desire to be married? Is Jesus a higher priority than your family? Is Jesus a higher priority than your ministry? Is Jesus a higher priority than your status with those in the community? Is Jesus a higher priority than your personal finance? Or we go on and on and on with this, but I think you probably get the idea. Is he first and foremost? Let me ask it this way. Is Jesus a higher priority than the deepest desire of your heart? Now, hopefully, 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 you're like, wait, 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 wait. He is the deepest desire of my heart. That would hopefully be the response. But see, for far too many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we have idols. And, And we have idols in our life, and that's the way that we think, and that's the way that we function, and that's what grips and grabs us. And it's just been revealed to us in that moment. I'm committed to Jesus first. Daryl Bach in his commentary on this passage says, nothing, nothing, nothing is to block the pursuit of commitment and nothing is to postpone its start. Is he the highest priority? Then let me ask you this question. Do I really believe... Do I really believe that following Jesus is worth leaving everything else behind? Do I really believe that in my heart of hearts? Let me give you an illustration of this. In fact, flip over just a few pages to the right. Flip over to Luke 18. Uh, Many of you are familiar with uh, this passage, uh, Luke 18, uh, starting in verse 18. uh, the, The rich young ruler and Jesus' engagement of him. This guy comes up to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells us some things. And his response, I highly question his response in verse 21. But he says, all these things I've kept from my youth. Highly suspicious, but whatever, let's go with it. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, let me be really clear. Jesus isn't prescribing that every single person has to sell all of their possessions before they're going to follow Jesus well. 
Jesus understood in the heart of this particular individual, his thing, okay, his thing was his wealth. Question, what's your thing? What's that thing in your life? Maybe it's wealth as well. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's ministry. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's the approval of others. Maybe it's being comfortable. Maybe it's no shortage of different things. But what's that thing in your life where you have to, to, to wrestle with? Is it worth leaving him on these or, or leaving these behind to follow Jesus? Are you so committed to something that you couldn't fathom leaving it for Jesus? That is what is dearest to your heart and to your soul. That is what ultimately grips and grabs you. Committed to Jesus in all circumstances. Committed to Jesus uh, first in all things. Here's the final item. Look at verse 61 and 62. I'm committed to Jesus until the end. I'm committed to Jesus until the end. Yet another said, verse 61, another said, I'll follow you, Lord. Let me first say farewell to those in my home. Evokes the imagery of Elijah and Elisha when Elisha was called by Elijah and he went and said goodbye to his parents. In fact, it's probably not at all uncommon for a Jewish reader to even begin to think of that. Yet Jesus' response, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one who puts his hand to the plow, right, beginning to plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Note what Jesus is really getting at here is that you can't follow two things. You can't serve two masters. I mean, that's what he told us in Matthew 6. You can't serve two masters. You can't follow two things. In fact, here, Cliff, Stefan, come up here real quick. Cliff, I need you because you're easy to identify. Come on, man. Okay. So you two stand next to each other. Go ahead and face that way. All right. And uh, I'm going to follow Cliff. But both of you just walk that way. See, this is what some of us, our life looks like. I'm following Cliff. Okay, go ahead and stop. But conveniently, it's moving along in the same trajectory with where Jesus is going. Okay, Stefan, you're going to walk right up this aisle. Now, Cliff, you walk this way. Here's the dividing line. This is the watershed moment, right? Who am I going to follow? Who am I going to go after? Am I going to follow what I want to follow? Or am I going to follow who God is calling me? And there's seasons in our life. Thank you, you guys can sit down. There's seasons in our life where, where the thing, where we're following Jesus and our own thing, that they might run in tandem with each other. And so we can just kind of move right along together. But then what happens when one goes this way? Okay, who am I really following now? Who am I really after? Who really has me? Who's really gripped me? And in the end, right in the end, it's all going to be revealed. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, no one who puts his hand to the plow, I start, right, maybe initially my intent is for Jesus and I'm following him. And in a couple of weeks, when we get to that final word, eternity, I would just tell you that that's what's out in front of us. That's the thing that we're looking at. That's the thing that we're focused on. But see, for far too many of us, we begin to walk down the road and then what happens? I miss my old life. I miss the old ways. I, I kind of want to, well, see, now you can't plow a straight line when you're looking back over your shoulder. It ain't going to happen. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, no one who can put their, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Do the work or walk away. It's a watershed moment. Follow me or follow them. Just follow someone. Quit playing halvesies. 
if we're going to follow well, loved ones, there can be no looking back. That's what Lot's, Lot's wife did in Sodom. Remember that? After she was told, hey, don't look back. For the life of me, I can't understand why she would want to look back. I mean, this is the city that if they found 10 righteous people, God would spare it. Couldn't find 10. Down with the fire and brimstone. I get it, I get it. I mean, everyone loves their home. Looking back, that's what the nation of Israel did. Slaves. Slaves. Out in the wilderness. And like, can we go back to being slaves? Looking back. Is that what you and I are doing? Can I go back to the old way? Can I go back to my wicked ways? Can I go back to my sinful ways? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Total resolve, no turning back. One of the things that Jesus tells us is the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved, right? The, pre- the, the perseverance of the saints. I remember when Becky and I were uh, preparing to move out here, this particular verse was so um, compelling to us. And uh, one of the things we said over and over and over again, we said it to each other, we said it to our kids, and I think we had to keep saying it to ourselves too, was no looking back, just looking up. No looking back, just looking up. Because no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. I'm committed to Jesus in all circumstances. I'm committed to Jesus first. I'm committed to Jesus until the end. Let me just take these last few moments and look at this passage in totality and draw a few other uh, points of application for us. I mean, I think those three items are pretty pressing in in a variety of ways, but now in totality, deal with a few things here. Uh, First of all, uh, make note of this. There's no me first in God's kingdom. There's no me first in God's kingdom. And maybe you caught that as we read through. Maybe you saw that in the text, but um, notice each of these guys, there's an emphasis on me. I'll follow you. Let me first go. Let me first say. It's about me first. For none of these guys, it was ever ultimately about Jesus. It was first and foremost about themselves. There's no me first in the kingdom of God. There's no place for that. Are you trying to put you first in God's kingdom? Second of all, Jesus gives us clear expectations. Jesus gives us very clear expectations of what he wants of us and what he's calling us to. He's not trying to trick us. He's not trying to deceive us. He's not trying to put something in there like, you missed it, Jeff, sucker. That's not, that's not how he operates. He's making it very clear, very discernible, very knowable. Why? It's this third item. It's that we would count the cost. Each of these guys, he's telling them, count the cost. Hey, I'm an alien. You're going to abandon your family, and there's no looking back. That's a pretty steep price. That's a severe call. And he's telling them, count the cost. The great commitment that Jesus calls us to comes at a great cost. Salvation is free, but it'll cost you everything. It'll demand everything of you. 
And in Luke 14, that's one of the things that Jesus tells us right after that passage about hating father and mother and brother and sister and yourself and not carrying your own cross. Right after that, Jesus says, does, any, does anyone begin to build a building without first considering the cost? Does anyone go to war without considering whether or not they can win? And he's driving home the point, have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost? And as followers of Jesus, let me just ask you right here in this moment, have you counted the cost of what it requires, what it takes to follow him? I think far too often we don't do that. And it's why people are so disillusioned, why they're so frustrated, why they walk away. Because you got sold some, some false gospel that, hey, it's going to be really easy and Jesus is going to make it fun and happy and he's going to take away all your pain. It's going to be great. It's not the gospel. Or, or may, maybe you weren't sold a false gospel, but you weren't given a full picture of all that God calls us to and all that God demands of us. And so when the trials come, which they will, all of a sudden you're going, what's going on? God, I didn't deserve this. I didn't ask for this. I didn't sign up for this. Well, you did. You just didn't know it. It's part of the reason it's so important for us when we share the gospel that people know what they're really getting themselves into. They don't become disillusioned or frustrated or simply walk away. That we would count the cost. Here's the final item. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Now again, Jesus is raising the standard here and uh, uh, the, the point is not to pick on these guys but there is very much a truth that comes ringing out of this text that's hard to ignore. It's one thing to say something. It's a whole different thing to believe it and to do it. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 7. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. I don't care what you said. I want to know whether or not I had your heart. I want to know whether or not you were gripped by me. I want to know whether or not you were committed to me. See, talk is cheap. Yeah, I'll follow you, I'll follow you. Excuse. Here's my excuse. I mean, we do this all the time. It's not lost on us. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we do this in a lot of different ways. We want the credit of putting something out there, but we don't ever want to have to do the work that's required of it. Here's probably one of the best, I mean, we're moving towards the holiday season. Here's where I see this uh, show up in people's lives. You want the credit of inviting your in-laws, but you don't want them to show up. Okay? Hey, we'd love to have y'all come join us for Christmas. What? You're busy? Oh, it's horrible. We'll miss you. No, okay, I love my in-laws. I couldn't use that as illustration if I didn't get along well with my in-laws. Though my wife maybe couldn't use that illustration because her in-laws are a little bit weirder and a little more difficult to be around. Okay? But see, we want all the credit. I want to give lip service to something, but I don't want to put in any of the work Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Anyone can say it. It's a whole different thing to do it. Our actions will speak far louder than our words will. Commitment. Commitment. Listen, you can say you're committed all you want. It doesn't mean a thing if it's not lived out in our lives. It doesn't mean a thing. So loved ones, will we be committed? 
Will we be committed in all circumstances? Will we be committed to Jesus first and foremost? Will we be committed to the end? That's what's in front of us. Let's pray.